Good morning, everyone. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas in spite of some stay-at-home orders and possibly smaller family gatherings. And we've also made it to the end of 2020. Well done. Um, and it is a year that many hope to forget. But as Ruth said a couple of weeks ago, let's be thankful for God, what God is doing and how he is growing us during this time. It will speak volumes to those who don't know Jesus. In case you don't know, I'm Karen Miller. I'm the Director of Discipleship and Community Groups here at COV. It is my privilege today to walk with you through a Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Some of you may be thinking, as we read the passage earlier, wow, hey, this passage is about evangelism. Karen, why isn't Tim preaching this passage? I mean, that's his thing, his wheelhouse. In case you don't know, Tim led a ministry called Compelled and trained thousands of people around the Bay Area and beyond to share their faith in intentional, relational, and relatable ways. Believe me, I asked him the same question, and I'll try to sum up his response. You see, Tim has a lot of experience sharing Jesus with others. He loves to talk with people who don't know Jesus about Jesus. But for me, sharing Jesus with others who don't know him yet, it's not natural and it's definitely not a strength. But sometimes it is out of our weakness that God is strong. We are all called to be witnesses and testify to God's grace in our lives. We are all called to go and make disciples. It's tempting to relegate that work to those who seem to be good at it. But how many opportunities will we miss if we think like that? And as you'll hear this morning, that doesn't mean we hope that the Spirit shows up and puts words in our mouth every time we interact with someone outside our faith. Paul, in these four short verses, has a lot to say about our part as we partner with God in sharing Jesus and the gospel with others. If you recall, in chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul describes how we should live in light of the gospel. In the first part of chapter 3, we learn that we're to live in the rhythm of the death and then the resurrection, fixing our hearts on things above. We die to or put off the old self, that's our sinful nature, which leads sadly to corruption and destruction. And we put on the new self created to be like Christ. Paul describes how that relates to our character. Put off anger, put on compassion and forgiveness. Put off posing and pretending and lying and put on honesty. Put off self-pity and put on gratitude and trust in God. Last week, we heard about the importance of how we interact with those in our households by submitting to God's order. We practice that submission in our imperfect relationships so that we are more prepared to submit to our perfect Lord. That submission requires, again, dying to our old selves, to our desires to be in control, and then living in our new selves, trusting that Jesus' ways are best. So now again in Colossians 4, we will follow that same rhythm. Die to self, live to Jesus, as we interact with those who don't know him. In a year where, there, where it's just easy to get discouraged or move towards self-pity, I know I've been there, or just focus inward, 
God calls us to move out and love others. So let's jump in. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. There's a lot to think about in this one short verse. Sometimes we just need to slow down and ask some questions. So devote yourselves to prayer. Let's back up and ask ourselves, what does it mean to be devoted to anything? When I think of a devoted person, I might think of a sports fan, especially one who watches every game, even when their team is losing. Or I might be devoted to a hobby, golf or swimming or running, or you know my exercise routine or closing my circles. I could be devoted to my phone, my Netflix show or social media in general. And certainly I am guilty of some of these things. Or I might think of a devoted spouse or a friend, someone who is always there for you and sees you through the ups and downs of life. Devoted means faithful, to be steadfastly attentive to, to give unremitting care to a thing. So I want to ask you to what or to whom would you say you are devoted? This verse calls us to be devoted to prayer. Remember that prayer is a dialogue with God where we both talk to God and listen to God through his word. Essentially, being devoted to prayer is being devoted to our relationship with the Lord, where we align our hearts with his. After all, he is our most devoted Lord, Savior, and friend who will never leave us nor forsake us, who promises to lead and guide us and be an ever-present help in times of need. Jesus is completely devoted to us. May we be devoted to him through time in the word and prayer. But what are we talking to Jesus about? So when I was first Christian and learning how to pray, I could pray for a minute tops. And then, you know, my mind's wandering and I'm thinking about the grocery list or whatever. And so I had to learn how to pray. And I discovered a few things. It helped to pray through scripture, particularly the pattern of the Lord's Prayer that we learned about in the fall or the pray through the Psalms or Paul's prayers. I've learned that writing down my prayers in a journal, either paper or digital, is a strategy I still use to help me stay focused and then walking for praying for each person in my community group or in my neighborhood are great ways for me to kind of have things that help me remember who to pray for. And there's nothing better than, you know, you get to exercise and call on our Most High God to intervene in the lives of people we care about. So where did the Apostle Paul, what did he pray about? And what were the content of his prayers? I want to go back to Colossians and look at two prayers. So our first prayer in Colossians 1, 3, 4, Paul says this, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people. Praying with thanksgiving for the people in our lives is a great start. And then in Colossians 1, 9 through 12, Paul prays a prayer that I love to pray for other believers. I just put their name kind of in the blanks. But it says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. 
we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. What an amazing thing that you could pray for someone else. And in scripture, we know that Paul prayed for all kinds of things, sanctification prayers, that we would grow into the likeness of Jesus, bearing godly fruit in our lives, thanksgiving prayers for those who partner with him in the gospel, prayers that God would strengthen, encourage, and bring peace to people's hearts, prayers that we would know God better and glorify him, prayers for grace and mercy. In this context, however, Paul is praying for those who don't know Jesus. Colossians 4 3 says, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may uh, proclaim it clearly as I should. Ephesians 6 19 through 20 says this, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Two times, he says, proclaim it fearlessly. Romans 10.1, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And last one, 1 Corinthians, sorry, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. Often, if we remember to pray for the lost, we pray for Aunt Bertha or our parents or even our kids who don't know Jesus. And those are great prayers. Keep praying them. But are we praying that God will open doors for the gospel? Are we praying, as Paul did, that we will proclaim the gospel clearly and fearlessly? The last part of verse 2 says, Be devoted to prayer, watchful and thankful. Which led to my next question. What does it mean to pray and be watchful? I mean, we often we pray, right, with our heads down and our eyes closed, I think, to limit distractions and focus on God. But what should I be watching for? Well, in chapter 2 of Colossians, we are told to be watchful of the syncretists who want to pour motor oil in our pure milkshake and add to the gospel. We should not listen to them or give credence to what they are saying. And then later in chapter 2, we are be, to be watchful for legalistic tendencies, either in ourselves or others, and those who want to add rules uh, to either prove themselves more spiritual or as a safeguard against sin. We are not to submit to those kinds of rules. Instead, rely on the work and grace of Jesus. In this context, in chapter 4, I think we're to be watchful for yet another thing, 
we're to be attentive to where God is already working in people's lives, where he is softening and preparing hearts to receive Jesus and the gospel. Keep praying fervently for Aunt Bertha, but be careful that we don't miss what God is already starting to do in our neighbor or coworker. One time, I was at Lawson where I teach middle schoolers, and the teacher I'd been discipling there was moving on to law school. And I literally asked God if he was still at work at Lawson, like maybe he wasn't. And literally, like there's the thought bubble out there, and I'm sitting in the quad um, for yard duty, and this PE teacher sits down next to me. And we have a short conversation. All of a sudden, she's telling me, hey, Karen, I just, I'm a brand new Christian. Um, and I started praying for her, and God opened up hours that week for us to talk about life and faith. So amazing. All right, Colossians 4, 3 through 4. Again, I'm reading this again because I'm emphasizing a different point. It says, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Well, what is that mystery of Christ? We need to know what we're supposed to be talking about. Well, Colossians 2 tells us that God's mystery is Christ himself. You see, God all along had promised a Messiah, a Savior, a King in the line of David, who would reign forever. What people didn't know was who that would be, or how that would come about, or even when that would come about. The mystery revealed is Jesus Christ himself, that God would not just send another prophet, but his own Son, and God would take on flesh to live a perfect life and reveal God's character in fleshly form to die in our place, to rise again, ascend into heaven where he sits at God's right hand. Through his death and resurrection, God extended his great rescue plan, not only to the Jews, which I think they kind of thought, but to all people on earth. And that rescue plan isn't just a go to heaven plan or a bias out of slavery to sin plan, but an adoption into his family complete forgiveness of sins, and eternity secure with our Lord, and the gift of the Spirit, Christ in us, the hope of glory. That is amazing. All right, Colossians 4, 5 says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. All right, Paul already instructed us in Colossians 1, 28 to be wise with those who know Jesus, so that they can be mature in Christ. And now he's instructing us to be wise towards outsiders. So who are the outsiders? Well, if you read the book, they're Pony Boy and Johnny and Soda Pop. Okay, sorry, I'm a middle school teacher, obviously. That is not what Paul is talking about here. Uh, let it, me put it simply. We can't judge people's hearts, and we don't actually know who is saved and who is not. Those on the outside are those who don't get the gospel, and haven't made Jesus Lord and Savior of their life. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. That means that outsiders could be people inside your home. That means that outsiders could be inside your church. 
That means that outsiders could be inside your extended family and sphere of influence. Since only 4 to 8% of the people in the Bay Area are professed followers of Jesus, most people we encounter will be outside our faith. So Paul exhorts us to be wise, make the most of every opportunity. So we have to ask ourselves again, what does it mean to be wise? What wisdom do we need? I'm going to give you five points that I believe point to God's wisdom as we relate to outsiders. So hang in there with me. Point number one, be prepared to get a reason for your hope. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Notice first that we are to give an answer to those who ask. We don't force the gospel on people unless the Spirit specifically leads us to. Making the most of every opportunity does not mean that at every interaction we try to share the gospel. We don't share Christ because we should or because we're supposed to or because you think we think God will love us more. We are called to be a witness of the goodness of God in our own lives and the hope we have in Christ. Now, we are generally eager to share things that bring us joy. But for some of us, and for me too, there's also a fear. In our pluralistic culture, it's not okay to say that there is only one way to God through Jesus. That's offensive. We also fear that people will think we are weird or we fear the loss of relationship or assume the person just isn't interested or perhaps that they're too far gone. And as Ruth said a couple weeks ago, no one is too far gone to be saved. So we make excuses for ourselves but that kind of fear and those excuses are not wisdom. I think it's very important to have a personal biblical motivation and a thought out reason for our hope so that we are prepared to share the life-giving news of Jesus. For me, I picked a verse and it comes from Acts 26. In that chapter, we learn more of Paul's conversation with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus told Paul he was sending Paul to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Colossians 1.13 puts it this way, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, I know what it was like to live in the dark, to live in the dominion of Satan. In my teens, I walked away from God. I thought God was a killjoy and I, I wanted to have fun. Outwardly, I looked very successful. I was on the synchronized swimming national team for four years and I competed all over the world. And then I went to Stanford and I got an engineering degree and I worked for a reputable high-tech company. But inwardly, however, I was prideful, I was selfish and competitive. I sought fulfillment in accomplishments and relationships. And most of my family, friend, and romantic relationships fell apart, either due to tragic circumstances or my own sin. 
and my accomplishments, they just faded into the background, I was left depressed and anxious and fearful. The kind of anxiety where your stomach hurts all the time and time creeps by slowly. And honestly, as I look back, I realize I felt very abandoned and loved. But looking back, I can also see that I would have been a really hard person to love because I was so prideful and self-absorbed and I really was blind to my own sin. But eventually, our path away from God will catch up with us. And that was my darkness. Thankfully, God intervened and Jesus rescued me from that darkness. I was not only unconditionally and am unconditionally loved by him, in spite of all my fears and self-absorption and pride, uh, but he adopted me. He brought me into his family. Jesus' love is steadfast and certain when others fail us. And on top of that, I was made a new creation, created to live a life loving God and others, a life full of peace and joy, not an easy life, but a purposeful life. And that is what it is like to live in the light, to live in his kingdom. When I remember that, how much Jesus has done for me, how could I not want that for others? How could I not beg God to rescue others and give them a new life with Jesus? So I wonder, what is your story? What is the hope you have in Christ? Be prepared to share it with those who ask. All right, our second point about being wise is know who you are, an ambassador for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. An ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to a foreign country. So we too have been accredited and commissioned by Jesus to be a representative to him, of him, to those who don't know him. It is both a privilege and a responsibility. Tim says in his Compelled to Share training that every interaction we have will either encourage people towards Christ or discourage them away from Christ. When possible, we want to leave people encouraged every time. And we should not let our conduct or our speech discredit our message. Uh, I like this quote from Mahatma Gandhi. He says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. May that not be true of us. All right, third point, to be wise, we also need to know who they are, sinners in need of a savior. Yes, they are that driver who cut you off, but they are also a sinner in need of a savior. Yes, they're that annoying classmate or coworker or family member, but they're also a sinner in need of a savior. And yes, they're that person who seems to have it all together, who seems to not need anything, and yet he or she is still a sinner in need of a savior. All right, we know who they are, but we also need to know the cultural beliefs of our day that impact those who don't know Jesus. Today's culture values freedom, 
and one of its highest ideals is to be true to yourself. The irony is this, people have freedom to pursue anything more than God. The irony is that when you do that, you'll actually be enslaved to the thing that you pursue, whether that's a relationship or a career or pleasures or a belief. Only Jesus came to bring true freedom, freedom from guilt and shame and fear and the power and natural consequences of sin, freedom to live a life filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And to be true to yourself, you have to almost create a shallow identity based on your own imagination. People brand themselves, and now they have to live up to that image. But Jesus is the only one who can make us into the best versions of ourselves. Jesus wants to give us true freedom and an identity that is secure and unchanging. Okay, so we know they need a Savior in Jesus a freedom that only Jesus can provide, and an identity that is secure. But we also get, need to get to know people personally and individually. Evangelism in the last several decades was very impersonal and often reduced to a formula. Hand someone a tract, share the Roman road, share the bridge illustration, get someone to raise their hand and say a prayer. It was often a one and done interaction but evangelism and discipleship go together. And Jesus never seemed to have a formula for relating to people, and neither did the Apostle Paul. Paul took the time to learn about people, their beliefs, their cultures, their hearts. And we are, when we are acting wisely and making the most of every opportunity, we are asking questions and we are getting to know people. Which leads to my fourth point, Love people in a way that they experience the love of Christ. When Jesus wanted people to know what it means to love their neighbor, what story did he share? Think about it. Well, he shared a story about a man who had been uh, robbed and beaten, left half dead. A priest and a Levi walked by and ignored the man. But when a Samaritan, a supposed enemy of this Jewish man, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. We read the rest of the story in Luke 10, 34 through 35. The Samaritan came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. And what, whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Okay, imagine having like an open bank account and you're just saying, I will pay all your medical bills. Who does that? But the Samaritan saw an opportunity, felt compassion, and acted on that compassion by caring for the man in ways that were costly to himself. In our own strength, we can't love people like that. With God's help, we can move in that direction. Uh, right now, I have the privilege of discipling Alice Ho. Everywhere she goes, she gets to know people. Even during the pandemic, she is dropping off books for someone, and all of a sudden, she's in this conversation about faith. Or she's working on fundraising for a school, and the next thing you know, she's FaceTiming someone for 45 minutes and sees an opportunity and a need for the gospel in this person's life. 
It requires her to regularly surrender her time to the Lord and be willing to be inconvenienced and interrupted um, and even give up a lot of her downtime. So here's my question. Who do you need to make time for? And when the moments arise and the opportunities arise, are you willing to be inconvenienced or interrupted for the sake of others? All right, last point, number five, follow the Spirit's lead. Most of the time when I've been remotely effective as evangelist, it's because God put something on my heart and I obeyed. I'm going to say that again. Most of the time I've been remotely effective as evangelist, it's because God put something on my heart and I obeyed, almost in spite of myself. Uh, one quick story, a couple of years ago, the Young Adults group went through a great book called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. Uh, shortly after that, I had two co-workers and one had just uh, gotten married and he was a Seventh-day Adventist, um, but not currently attending church. And the other, a new Christian gal in a non-Christian dating relationship. As a simple act of obedience, I gifted them both with copies of the book. And really, for quite a while, heard nothing. And I thought to myself, oh, you know, yet another time where I wondered why God asked me to do something that was kind of weird and unfruitful. Every time that thought comes in my mouth, God shows up. So later, of course, the guide told me he and his new wife were using the book as a devotional, and that opened up some conversation for us. And the single gal, after reading part of the book, asked me to pray for her, because otherwise she was going to marry the guy who didn't share her beliefs, who didn't have the same priorities, and whom, honestly, she didn't really love, but he would provide her with financial security. And so right there in the public school staff lounge, we prayed together and God gave her the strength to break up with him. And whatever else God does in her life, that was a life-changing moment. Be obedient to the spirit, even if it doesn't make sense. All right, I wanna do a quick review with you all. Uh, these are the five points for being wise as we interact with outsiders. And what I'm going to ask you to do right now is actually pause the video. And whether you're by yourself or with some other people, I want to see if you can fill in the blanks. So just take a second and do that, and then we'll come back. Okay, hopefully you tried to do that. We'll see. See how you did. So number one, be prepared. Know the hope you have in Christ. Number two, know who you are, an ambassador for Christ, a representative. Number three, know who they are, a sinner, right, who needs a savior. Number four, love people in a way that they experience the love of Christ. And number five, follow the Spirit's lead. How'd you do? <laughs> All right, one last thing about verse 5. It says, make the most of every opportunity. Now, some of you may be thinking, Karen, this is the end of 2020. We are still under county-directed stay-at-home orders, and I just don't have that many opportunities right now. But I want you to remember this. God is an initiator, and as we spend time with him in his word and through prayer, he may put someone on our hearts to text or call or Zoom 
or whatever, guess what? He just created an opportunity for you. Remember that Paul was in prison in chains when he was praying God would open doors for the gospel. He was not limited by his extremely limiting circumstances, and neither should we be. All right, last verse. We're almost there. Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Full of grace, seasoned with salt. If you ask non-Christians what they think of Christians, Many, unfortunately and sadly, might use descriptors like self-righteous or judgmental or arrogant. Honestly, that should break our hearts. It stinks. It is really the exact opposite aroma of the one Christ would want us to leave. Our conversation should be full of grace and seasoned with salt, good to taste and take in. I remember one time I was praying over my neighborhood it was almost Easter. I had this invitation card uh, to invite someone to our Easter service. And we're not really trying to invite someone to church. We're trying to invite people into a relationship with a God who loves them and can save them. But there I was with this card, and my neighbor and her friend were standing outside. And I felt God stirring in me to go and have a conversation with them. I remember turning to go inside my house, and then again, it was like, no, I needed to be obedient. So I walked over, and I literally lamely handed my neighbor this card, and she quickly read it. And then she just looked at me, and she told me that she uh, and church didn't go together, and that her Christian grandmother had told her that she was going to hell because she was gay. What happened next surprised me. The gospel came pouring out of my mouth, how much God loved her and wanted a relationship with her. And we got to have this amazing dialogue and conversation about faith. Her friend honestly was deeply touched and my neighbor was receptive. Now I would love to tell you that they knelt down and received Jesus on the spot. They didn't. Um, and they didn't even come to Easter service that year. But God did a work and planted seeds that I can only pray will bear fruit. And at the very least, they got a different message. Jesus came to save people, not to judge them. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for helping us to get through 2020, a year fraught with pandemic and isolation and much difficulty. And as we go into this new year, Lord, God, I pray that you would move in our hearts in a really powerful way. I pray that 2021 would be a year where you draw many people to yourselves, a year where you give people with uh, the grace of your relationship and your forgiveness, your love, your peace, and your joy. And I pray, God, that you would make us instruments of people and that we would be wise in every opportunity and that more and more people would know uh, your goodness and your grace. We love you so much, Lord, and I pray that whatever you did this morning would bear much fruit. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Have a great day, everyone.